This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment, and this is episode number 27, and I'm calling this episode Understanding the Bible. Now, in this episode, I have a great book to give away called Bible Marking the Guide by John Earnhardt. I've done a deal with my friends over at Better Books and Food, and I have a bunch of these books to give away for free. This little book, it outlines an easy Bible marking system that creates a chain reference of text for your Bible study. And using only your Bible, you will be able to share life-changing answers to questions about spiritual topics. So stick around to get the code word during the show. You need to text the code word to 04888845311. So you want to save this number into your phone right now, 04888845311, and wait for today's code word. Now, if you're joining me for the first time here on The Faith Experiment, The Faith Experiment is about putting faith into practice. And I've shared with you so far on the show my own personal journey of faith and how I've gone from a non-believer to a faith experimenter. And over the last few weeks, we've been exploring the theme of Bible study. It's one of the most requested topics that I get asked to share on. How do I study the Bible? And on this episode, I'll be taking you through an example of studying the Bible. Now, if you've missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up with some of the details, you can get the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast section for The Faith Experiment. You'll also find The Faith Experiment on all the good podcasting platforms, helping you to keep up to date with The Faith Experiment wherever you listen to your podcast from. So, let's recap what we've covered so far when we've been looking at this theme of Bible study. Well, first of all, We started this journey by trying to discover what was the actual purpose of Bible study. And we found, according to Jesus, the purpose of the Bible is to reveal Him. Who He is, what He is, it serves as a witness of Jesus. And by looking at the Apostle Paul's teachings on this topic, we found that he explains that we find Jesus through four lenses. A lens of doctrine, a lens of correction, a lens of reproof, and a lens of instruction in righteousness. And as we study the Bible, it's through these four lenses that we should see in every theme and every text that the ultimate goal of the Bible is to introduce us to Jesus and to transform us into men and women of God who are equipped with every good work. And so this is our framework. This is our starting place as we open up the Bible for study. The end game, no matter what we're looking at, the end game will always be to see Jesus through these four lenses. And the end result should be an application to our life that brings transformation. We've also explored things like the anatomy of the Bible, how it's being constructed, what the purpose of the Old Testament was and the New Testament We've seen that one points forward to Jesus while one points back at Jesus. We've talked about chapter divisions and verse divisions. We've looked at the function of these things and how it's geared around referencing and indexing and that we should never limit our study to just the verses as they're made up in our Bibles. We always study according to the thoughts or paragraphs. We've also looked at the process of revelation, how it comes from God and how it's impressed upon the mind of the prophet 
And very important for the Bible student, we understand that the prophets used their own words, their own culture, their own ideas and expressions to communicate these original revelations. And so we don't impose and we can't impose our 21st century thoughts and ideas and language on these prophets. We need to instead go back and do a bit of research and understand what it meant to them when they wrote it. We've also established that the 66 books that we have are the canon of Scripture that was formed in the day of the last living disciples. We've also established that there is very good reasons why we don't study the books of the Apocrypha. And then next on our journey of Bible study, we explored translation methods and the sources of our English Bible translations. And we found that we need to focus on texts that come from the majority text and we need to focus more on the word-for-word translations than the thought-for-thought translations. This will help us get closest to the original author's intent. And then I took you on that whirlwind tour looking at storytelling. And we found that the Bible stories all make up a single grand storyline with seven unique chapters all tied together with those seven golden threads. And for the Bible student, this is all very important because it helps us identify where we are in terms of what we're studying in the overall story of Scripture. And then we looked at how every division in the Christian family over the past 2,000 years has been the result of biblical hermeneutics, which is just a fancy way of saying how the Bible gets interpreted. We looked at those two methods, exegesis and eisegesis. And we saw how that eisegesis is where we interpret the Bible passages and we we put meaning in. Sometimes it's accidental, but we put the meaning into the text. And sometimes we can find clues that we're using eisegesis when we use these phrases like, well, what does this text mean to me? Or what do I feel about this text? Or what does this passage mean to you? These are small clues that we might be in danger of putting our own interpretation based on our own logic or our own emotions, into the passage. Whereas on the flip side, exegesis is about drawing out the original meaning from the original author, and it removes us from the process. And we find that we can do this by asking simple questions like, what did the original author mean by this? Next, we looked at the biblical framework for Bible study, which comes from Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, and we found that Ezra had this four-step approach to his encounter of the Bible. We read that Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it as statutes and judgments in Israel. And so we spent some time looking at how do we prepare our hearts as we approach the study of the Bible. And we saw that heart preparation has more to do with our emotions and our feelings than our thoughts. And on our last episode, we looked at Ezra's second step of Bible study, seeking the law of the Lord which is the actual opening of the scriptures and finding God's law or his character. And we called this step observation. And I share with you a few steps that I use when I study the Bible. Once I pick a passage, I look for the extent of the thought. And then once I find the extent of the thought, then I read it five to seven times to help with my comprehension of what's actually taking place in the story. Then we move into asking those questions, those open-ended questions where a word in the passage serves as our answer and my question starts with one of those seven key words, that who, what, when, why, which, where, and how. And then we picked up the Bible and we used a passage from the Gospel of Matthew to actually put these tips into practice. So now... We're ready to continue the study and to move to the understanding of the passage. After all, before we can apply the passage to our lives, we need to understand what 
the passage means. And remember, we want to draw out the meaning that's exegesis. We don't want to put a meaning into this passage, which would be eisegesis. So, now you're up to date. It's time to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be continuing the study of the Bible. We're going to take all what we've learned so far, put it into practice, continuing our example of Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3. So, go get your Bible, and I will see you after the break. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for the free offer, the book, Bible Marking the Guide. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888-45311. That's 04888-45311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. Rugged cross on a hill long ago, hung one without guilt, without blame, and for salvation of souls, for the sins of the world. That's why my Savior. Was slain. Won't you look to the old rugged cross and see Jesus and confess his name and say, Father, forgive me. I know. I'm lost You'll be found At that old Rugged cross And from that old Rugged cross He was laid in The tomb Death over him had no claim For Jesus was raised So that all might be saved Believe and break Free from sin's chains Won't you look to Old rugged cross And see Jesus Confess his name And say, Father, forgive me I know that I'm lost You'll be found At that old Rugged cross 
So when your yoke it is heavy, when your burden gets hard, and when it feels like all hope is lost, there's a way that is easy. There's a yoke that is light. Just follow and take up your cross. Won't you look to the old rugged cross and see Jesus and confess His name and say, Father. Forgive me. I know that I'm lost. You'll be found at that old rugged cross. Just lay your burden at the foot of that cross. This is the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 27 of the Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode "Understanding the Bible." And coming up on today's show is the code word for great free offer: the book Bible Marking the Guide. So we're talking about Bible study. Every Christian is called to study the Bible, because it's through this process that we encounter Jesus, and ultimately we are transformed into men and women of God. And over the past few episodes, we've done all the preparation to get us to this point. We know the purpose of the Bible, the structure, how revelation and inspiration work, why there are sixty-six books, the storyline. We understand translations and manuscripts. We've looked at the interpretation methods, and now we have started studying the Bible. And we've selected our passage, Matthew chapter eight, verse one to three, and we have found the extent of the story. We've read it a number of times. We've asked ourselves some questions, and we've started identifying key words. So now we want to continue this process onto verse two and verse three, and then we're going to start drawing out the meaning and see how this passage is connected to the overall story of the Bible. Let's recap. In verse one, we started out with our worksheet, which has our four columns. We have our passage column, which refers to the passage we're studying. Our second column is the questions that we ask in the passage that are answered. We have our third column, more study, which contains all of the questions that get generated through our observation, which aren't directly answered in the passage, but could help us get deeper insight into our passage. And this is where we would use things like our Bible dictionaries, our Bible commentaries, and our Strong's concordances and other resources to try and get the answers to those questions. And in our last column, we have any key words or key thoughts that stand out in this passage that we're looking at. These are often give us clues into the purpose that the author's original intent was with this passage. So, if you have your Bible there, open up with me to Matthew chapter eight, verse one, and let's read the passage again. 
when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now, as we went through this passage on our last episode, we filled out our worksheet with some questions, some more study questions, and we identified some key words. If you want to get a copy of what these worksheet examples look like, then text the code word hash FE27 info, all one word, hash FE27 info. Text that to 488 453 and the Faith of Mbot will reply to you with a link to the sample worksheet. So now that we've done verse 1, let's move on to verse 2 and to verse 3. In verse 2, the Bible says this, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So in our worksheet, let's list down all the questions that we can ask where the text has the answer to it. Let's start by picking out a word to be our answer. Same thing we did in verse 1. So let's start off by picking the word leper. Now, remember, we ask a question which starts with one of our seven words. Who, what, where, when, why, which, and how. This will help us create those open-ended questions. So, with the word leper being our answer, here's some example questions. We've got to ask, who appeared in front of Jesus? The answer would be, the leper. Or, who worshipped Jesus? Again, the answer is the leper. We could ask, who asked Jesus to make him clean? Again, the answer is leper. Now, this might seem really elementary at this point. It's like, well, no duh, it's pretty obvious it was the leper that did all those things. But you'll find that unless you force yourself to ask these questions and to think of these questions, you don't obviously see these points in the passage. Your eye sort of just glistens over the verse and you jump to verse 3 and 4 and 5 and you forget what verse 2 is all talking about. So again, we're trying to really focus our concentration on the passage and allow the text to talk to us. Let's try another word. Let's try the word came. What did the leper do in this passage? He came. Now, this is a pretty interesting word, right? Because it shows that there's action. And that might be important as we come further through the process of observation. Now, we could ask some questions that are not directly answered in this passage, but we can put them down in our more study column on our worksheet. We could ask questions like this. What is leprosy? What happens to someone who has leprosy? How were people with leprosy treated? How did someone get leprosy? Where did this leper come from? Why did this leper come to Jesus? What made the leper come to Jesus? What did the multitude do when the leper came to Jesus? So you can see it's very easy to start asking questions. And I find the more questions you ask, the more questions you create. Let's try another one. Let's ask questions around the word worshipped. We could ask this. What did the leper do? Well, he worshipped. How did the leper treat Jesus? Worship. What was the leper's attitude to Jesus? Attitude of worship. Now here are some more questions we could ask and put into our more study column on our worksheet. What would happen if a man worshipped another man in Jewish times? What did the worship of a man mean in Jewish times? Why did the leper start his request with If you are willing. How does this affect the last part of his request where he says, 
you can make me clean. What does make me clean even mean? Does it mean being healed or does it mean ceremonially clean? Now, we have a good number of questions listed down on our worksheet for verse 2, so let's move on to verse 3. Verse 3 says this, Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. In verse 3, let's start out once again by asking questions of the words in the verses, like we've done with verse 2 and with verse 1. You'll notice as the more you do this, the easier it gets. Let's start with the word Jesus. Who put his hand out? Obviously the answer is Jesus. Who spoke to the leper? Jesus. Next, let's use the word or the words put together, put out his hand. We can ask this question. How did Jesus respond to the leper's request? Jesus put out his hand. Then we could ask, what did Jesus do with his hand? He touched. What did he do while he was touching him? He was saying. What did he say? I am willing. How quickly did the healing take place? Immediately. You'll notice again that once you get started asking these open-ended questions, one question always leads to another question, and that's the whole point of this exercise. We're observing the text. We're asking the text, tell us what's in this text. And by asking a question, we get an answer, and that leads us to another question. And ultimately, in this process, somewhere, somehow, God is going to help you to discover a gem. Now, once you've exhausted this step of asking questions, whether the questions are answered in the passage or not, they're all good questions. And many times the questions you put into the column for more study are often the questions that give you the deepest insight. Now we've done that, we move on to our last column, key words in the passage. These are just words that jump out and, and are somehow clearly connected to the overall message of the passage. If we look back at verse 2, our key words might be the word leper. Who is he? What does being a leper mean? That seems to be pretty key to the story. Then you could also see that perhaps the word worshipped is a key word there. Why is this significant in the story? In this day and age, what is the significance of worshipping this man Jesus? And then there's the word if, if you are willing. Why is it starting with the word if? Why is he asking this? What What is making him ask this? Then we looked at verse 3, the key words might be, put out his hand and spoke to him. And also the little phrase, I am willing. And also the word immediately. Now, I would go and spend some time now, after doing this exercise, looking for answers to all of these questions. Obviously the questions in my column for questions, I've answered them based on the text. But I've raised a whole bunch of questions in the more study column, which need some attention. So I'd go away and look up these different questions based on my Bible dictionaries, on my Bible concordances, my Bible commentaries. And when I've found sufficient answers to these questions, then I'm ready to move on to the next step of Bible study. What does it all mean now? You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 27 of The Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode Understanding the Bible. And coming up is today's code word for the free book called Bible Marking the Guide. So stick around for the code word coming up soon. 
So before the break, we completed our observation stage of the Bible study process. We picked our passage, we found the extent of the thought, we've read it several times, we've asked our questions, we've recorded the questions, and we've found a number of questions that are not directly answered in the passage, but they're going to lead us into some very deep areas to understand the context behind these passages. We've also identified our key words, we've looked up our Bible dictionaries, our Bible commentaries, our Bible concordances, and now we have all the facts, we have all the information. And so now we start to move into the next stage of Bible study, the interpretation stage. This is where we try and distill everything we've observed, and we try and distill it down to a meaning, to the meaning of the passage, the original author's intent of what we've been studying. So, where do we start? Well, step one, we start with genre. Genre are categories of literature, and each genre has its own tone and its own technique and its own methods for understanding what the message is in that style of literature. Now, the Bible uses a handful of genres. It uses genres like narrative, which is basically storytelling. It uses genres of law, which is very much legal. Then there's the genre of prophecy, which is often highly symbolic. Then there's the genre of letters and epistles, or the genre of poetry, the genre of wisdom, the genre of parable, the genre of romance and apocalyptic. Now, understanding which genre the passage has been written in can not only help guide our reading of the passage, but also our understanding of the passage. And that's where we are today. We're wanting to understand this passage of Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3 for our example. Now, probably one of the greatest moments of clarity for me in this faith experiment that I find myself in was when in my Bible study, I came across the understanding of genre. It completely changed how I read the Bible and it completely transformed the foundation of my faith. You see, many of those divisions of the Christian family that I talked about in the episode about the impact of biblical hermeneutics, a lot of the differences of understanding comes from not rightly understanding the genre. For example, some people take parables in the scriptures and they interpret them as being narrative. Some take narrative and interpret it as prophetic. And some take wisdom and interpret that as law. And I think you get my point. When you apply the wrong genre to an interpretation process, you can end up with very, very strange understandings. And that's why we end up with so many differences of Christian belief. You know, although we probably don't even recognize it, genre influences everything in our lives even today. From the way you interpret a conversation to a book to a song to a movie, genre is always at work in the background of our mind, helping us make sense of what we're experiencing. Yet, for some reason, when it comes to the Bible, we almost entirely ignore genre. Let me show you what I mean and why genre is so important. Imagine this. Imagine I place five books in front of you with their covers and their title pages all removed. Just the plain text. And then I ask you, I want you to tell me what the genre of each book is. 
you would probably begin by looking at clues from the author and the way the author is written. For example, if you read Once Upon a Time, you'd probably jump straight to the conclusion of saying, well, that's a fairy tale. If you read, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? You might say this sounds a lot like Shakespearean poetry. Or if you read, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. You might say, well, this is a modern novel. You might even be able to pick up on some of the more subtle clues, like the way the characters are described and the sequence of dialogue. And from these clues, you would try and distinguish a novel from a non-fiction or poetry from a novel or satire from journalism. You see, genre is built into the fabric of all our media. And, you know, publishers try and give us genre clues the way they design the covers of these books, the fonts that they use, even the size of the pages. Yet, when it comes to the Bible, nearly all of these clues of genre are removed from the modern reader. Even a Bible's layout and feel, with all the biblical books being bound as one book with a nice fancy cover, it confuses our senses. And we look at the Bible as one book rather than several books. Each of the biblical books of the Bible has its own genre and subgenres. And sometimes genres even get blurred within one book. One book can have multiple genres. The only clue you get from the format of the actual physical Bible is normally in the poetic section of the Bible where the poetry is divided and indented and has individual titles. But that's basically the only clue you get. We're sometimes even more confused because we have historical and cultural difference from the Bible. Because after all, we're about 2,000 years to the closest part of the Bible. And if that wasn't enough, we're even removed because of the language differences. But when we understand the ancient genre, it transforms absolutely everything about our Bible study. It makes sense of confusing sections. It helps us understand the difference between one biblical book and another. It helps bridge the cultural and historical differences that we have. It brings us one step closer to what the ancient reader would have naturally understood. When it comes to the Bible, we're like Westerners in an Eastern culture. We need a guide to help us understand the landscape, so to speak. Otherwise, we will completely miss all the cultural clues that the Bible presents. And by doing that, if you've ever been to a foreign country, you can very easily dishonor your host. Now, there are four big genres when it comes to scripture. There's the narrative. There's poetry, there's prophecy, and apocalyptic. For example, the Gospel of Matthew and Genesis fall within the narrative genre, whereas much as Daniel and Revelation, they're apocalyptic in genre. Now, we can roughly divide the 66 books of the Bible into these big categories, but then each of the books can also have various sub-genres and styles. For example, in Revelation, it also includes poetry, and Daniel also includes narrative. But just this basic understanding of the differences between, say, the Gospel of Matthew and the book of Revelation can completely change the way that we interpret these books. So here's a question for you. How has genre either helped or hindered your interpretation of the Bible? Are there some biblical books that you have completely misunderstood because you didn't understand the genre? Text me your comments on 4 I'd love to hear from you on this. So back to step one. Now that we've gone through the process of 
observing the passage. We've, we've laid out all of the information that we've gained. We've dug into our commentaries. We've dug into our dictionaries and our concordances. Now that we're trying to understand or interpret our passage, we first need to identify our genre. Now, our passage here in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, comes right at the end of a narrative of Jesus preaching to the multitude on the mountain, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, after Jesus finishes his preaching, our passage says that he came down from that mountain, and while the multitudes were following him, a leper confronts him, and then a dialogue takes place. So, There's no question that our genre here is narrative. Now, when narrative is used in a biblical passage, it's normally there for us, the reader, to relate to the characters. We're meant to participate in the emotional and the spiritual aspects of the overall story. Now, each genre has certain keys or methods to use to help to understand the meaning. For example, how you understand poetry is different to how you understand parables, and that's different again to how you understand a narrative. So, because our passage here is narrative, the key for understanding narrative is looking at three E's. The first is the entrance of the character, looking at the encounter of the character, and looking at the exit of the character. And by taking our observations and grouping everything we've found in that phase of our study, Into these three stages of narrative, we should naturally arrive at the meaning of the passage. So, what was the entrance of our character? Well, we have a backdrop of Jesus preaching and teaching to the multitude on the mountain. He's just finished. People are amazed because of his teaching. People see a sharp distinction between him and the Pharisees. And now, as he comes down from the mountain, the people are watching him. They're following him. And then we're told, behold, look, notice, check it out. Whatever is coming next in our focus, it's the point. This is the thing that we're meant to understand now. And what is it? A leper. A leper enters into the story. Now, we know from our study into the cultural practices of the day that a leper is an outcast from society. They're removed from their families, from their homes, They're forced into, well, social distancing. And they're declared as unclean. Now, we also know from using our Bible dictionary that lepers were required by custom to cry out three times, unclean, 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 when approaching people. Now remember, Matthew has just gone through telling us that Jesus has been telling the multitude to think differently, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, and that to hate someone is to murder them. These were all fundamentally different concepts to what the scribes taught. And so the people are entranced. They're astonished by what they're hearing. And so they're now following him. But behold, this unclean outcast, this leper now shows up in the story. Now, if you were there at that moment, if you were in that crowd, do you know what you would have done? Eastern culture tells us that you would have run in the opposite direction to the leper. Do you know why? Because you're terrified of coming into contact with a contagious disease like leprosy. Now, you would have run in the opposite direction, but you probably would have only run far enough away to be safe, but close enough to see, to see what? To see what Jesus would say or do. 
And why would you do that? Because Jesus just taught you to think differently. And now, behold, will Jesus practice what he preaches? And what will he do to this leper, this outcast? And so Matthew has our attention. He's told us the story. We now understand that the entrance of this character in this narrative is our main point. And so now we ask, again, because we know this is a narrative genre, we ask the question, what was the encounter? What took place? How did it happen? So we have a leper, someone who believes themselves to be an outcast. And again, we know from the understanding of the mindset of the culture of the day that a leper was told that the reason they have leprosy is because they have been cursed by God because of their sin. The Jews believed at that time that sickness was because you have been cursed because of your sin. And so in the mind of this leper, he is cursed by God, so he's been told. But he's come to this man Jesus. Why? Why has he come? Well, because he thinks he can heal him. How does he know that? How did he get this faith that Jesus can heal? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So this leper has heard the stories of Jesus' healing. This healing has caused faith to grow in his heart. Now, this faith that has grown in his heart has caused him to arise, to get up and to move. This faith has produced works. His faith has evidence. Why? Because he didn't just hear the stories about the man healing, this man Jesus. He didn't just hear and say, wow, I know he could heal me, but he never gets up. This guy, he hears the stories of this man. He hears the word of God. And then his faith grows. This real faith grows. And that causes him to get up and to move. It causes him to arise and to go to Jesus. And this was the start of this leper's faith experiment. Now, Matthew, who's the author of this passage, he does something very significant in this story. He says that this leper shows up in front of Jesus and it says he worshipped him saying, Lord. Now again, understanding the time that this took place, if you were a Jew and you worshipped another man, do you know what they would have called that? They would have called that blasphemy. And do you know what the punishment for blasphemy was? It's death, usually by stoning. So get this. Here is a leper. He has leprosy. He's going to die from leprosy at some point. He comes to this man. That's what the scribes would describe Jesus as, just a man. And this leper falls down and worships this man, this man Jesus, and calls him Lord. So in this encounter, the leper is risking his life by acknowledging this man as Lord and worshipping him. And so he's taking a risk. But the reality is, what does he have to lose? Either way, he's facing death, whether it's through leprosy or through stoning. But there's something in this man Jesus that presents itself as an avenue of hope. Now, notice the words that come out of the leper's mouth. He says to Jesus, again, this would be in view of that multitude. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, this is so key. He calls him Lord. He says, you can make me clean. He's making a declaration of this faith that is growing inside of him. But at the start of this declaration, he says, if you are willing. Now, why is he saying this? Well, because 
He's been taught that he has leprosy because he has been cursed of God for his sin. So he believes this Jesus has power. He has the ability to heal. But his question is, will he heal me? Am I cursed of God? Am I good enough to be cleansed? Am I worthy enough to have this death sentence removed from my head? Now, look at Jesus' response. It says, Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Notice, Jesus touches him while he is speaking to him. Why? What's Jesus trying to communicate here? What is Matthew trying to communicate here? Jesus healed other lepers by saying, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. Jesus didn't touch them. So Jesus could have healed this leper in the exact same way, but he didn't. And it seems that the way Jesus healed him is connected to the way the leper asked him to be healed. He said, I know you are able to heal me, but are you willing to heal me? Jesus touches him, which is a sign of affection, a sign of closeness, a sign of fondness. And as he touches him, Jesus says, just to be sure I'm understood, I am willing. Be clean. So we see that this encounter is demonstrating, one, think differently. Two, practice what you preach. Three, faith grows by hearing the words and works of Jesus. Four, faith always produces an action. It will always cause us to arise and draw closer to Jesus. And five, no matter what you think God thinks about you, no matter what people have told you about how God thinks about you, you need to go to him. Go directly to him. And six, he is able to heal. He is able to help. And seven, he is willing. And so lastly, we look at the exit of our character. How does the character leave the story? How do their lives reflect a change? We're told by Matthew that once Jesus touched him and spoke to him, immediately he was cleansed. He he didn't have to wait. He didn't need to work His faith drew him to Jesus, and it was Jesus' power that transformed his diseased body into a restored new creature. This by itself is an important part of the miracle, because remember, this is happening right before every eye of the multitude. Now, this is where the story gets pretty amazing, especially if you had have lived at the time of Matthew when he wrote this. You see, since no human being could cure leprosy at that point in human history, And the fact that Jesus did, it implied that Jesus had divine power. And because leprosy was thought to be a judgment of God because of your sin, this gave the people hope and faith that Jesus, if he could cure leprosy, Jesus would also be able to cleanse the soul from sin. And remember, Jesus had come to earth for that specific purpose of cleansing the sinners, whose spiritual illness was far worse than the death of leprosy. Now, Matthew leaves the story with one more key point. After Jesus heals him, he tells him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So what's going on here? Again, with a little digging, we find that according to the Mosaic Law, that the priests who served as public health officers diagnosed leprosy, and they're the ones that ordered the segregation. Those who recovered from their diseases could return home after re-examination, after purification rites, and after a certification. You can read about that in Leviticus 14. 
Now, such a certificate from the priest declaring that this man no longer has leprosy would amount to an official recognition of the miraculous cure and the man himself would be a living witness to what had taken place. And this would serve as an evidence of the divinity of Christ. It was something a short break now, but when we come back, we'll continue looking at understanding the Bible. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for the free offer of Bible marking the guide. I'll be right back after this with the Faith Experiment. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. I can feel when my mind starts to creep into doubt On the days when the strength in my heart's giving out There's a light but it hides from me There's a voice that I need, but I don't hear a sound If I run into what I can't see Fighting out of all my unbelief Father, even in my song The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 27 of The Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode Understanding the Bible. And coming up is the code word for today's offer, Bible Marking the Guide. So stick around. So before the break, we had identified that our genre for our passage is narrative. And we know that because it's narrative, there are three key things we need to explore in order to understand the meaning of the passage. We need to understand the entrance of the characters, 
the encounter of the characters, and the exit of the characters. And now we have a good understanding of the passage and its purpose and its meaning to the original audience. I like to do two more steps during this understanding or interpretation stage. The first is, I want to see if there are any of our seven golden threads that tie this passage to the overall story of the Bible. You might want to go back and listen to episode 23, the storyline of the Bible, if you missed it, where I talk about these seven golden threads in the overall storyline of the Bible. But we're looking to see if there are any of our seven S's. What threads are there in this passage? So I just run through my list and see if there are any clues which might help me dig a bit deeper. Do you remember the list? Well, it starts off with the sanctuary thread. Now, when you look at this passage in light of the sanctuary, immediately we see that the sanctuary imagery is presented in this passage. For example, the man is unclean. He's asking to be made clean. And then once he's healed, he's told to go to a priest who is in the temple, which is the sanctuary. Now, this is significant, and you might ask why. Well, because the whole purpose of the sanctuary is to deal with sin. And so anytime a story contains a sanctuary thread, it's always connected to the issue of sin and the solving of the problem of sin. Now, in our story, the word sin is never used once, but because it's connected to the sanctuary, we know it's connected to sin. Now, remember, this man, he has been taught that his leprosy is because It is a judgment of God because of his sin. And so someone who can cure leprosy, by implication, can cure sin. This opens up a whole lot of other passages in the whole of the scriptures that share the same thread of the sanctuary. We can also look to see if there are clues for the other threads. What about the thread of stewardship or the thread of Sabbath or or the thread of the state of man? Now, without a savior, we're just like this leper. We will die. And so, like the leper, we need an external savior. We can't save ourselves, which leads us to the next thread of salvation. Are there any clues for the thread of sanctification or the threads for the spirit of prophecy? So, let's recap. Once we finished our observation of the passage, we try and identify the genre. Now, depending on the genre, depends on which tools we use for interpretation. In our example today, we're looking at the narrative genre, and so we used our Three E's, entrance, encounter, and exit. What happens at the entrance of our characters in the story? What happens during the encounter of the characters? And what takes place at the exit of the story? And so after we take everything, we have learned from our observation questions, from our more study questions in our keyword findings, and summarizing this into our three E's, and after we identify any clues from our seven golden threads, the last thing I like to do is I like to ask myself, which part of the overall storyline is this passage connected to? Is it a part of that exposition stage where it describes the start of that great story of God and creation? Or is it talking about the conflict stage of the story where there is a disturbance in the story? Or are we looking at the hope or promise stage of the story, where there's that promise that the conflict will be resolved? Or is this the climax describing the showdown in the story? Or are we in the wrap-up stage where it's describing the climax and how it answers the questions of hope and resolves the issue of conflict? Or is this the resolution part of the story where it describes the new story world after the conflict has been resolved? As we view our passage, 
Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, 2, and 3, in light of all of these tools, we find that we are introduced to the one who can cleanse us from a disease more deadly than leprosy, the disease of sin. And not only is he willing to cleanse us, even if we don't feel worthy enough to ask, not only is he willing to cleanse us, but he is willing to cleanse us immediately. And people's lives are changed. And others, like the priest, witness the transformation and certify to the fact that this person was once lost and is now redeemed. Now that we understand what the original author of this passage is intending for his original author to understand, we can move to that next stage of Ezra's framework for Bible study, the do-it stage or the application stage. How do we take this passage now? How do we take the story of a leper who's been cleansed of his leprosy? How do we take that and apply it to our lives in 2021? Well, that's exactly what we'll pick up on the next episode of The Faith Experiment. Now, what do you think of these episodes on how to study the Bible? I'd love to hear your feedback. Are they helping you in your personal study? Please let me know what you have found most useful so far. You can text me on 4 or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. Now, I mentioned at the top of the show that I have a great book for you called Bible Marking the Guide. This book is really going to help you in your Bible study. It shows you how to connect the passages of the Bible by theme and by topic. It will help you understand some of the key themes in the Bible. And I would like to give it away to you today for free. If you want to get a free copy of this book, all you need to do is text me. Text this code word, hash FE27, hash FE27. Text that to 0488-45311. That's 0488-45311. And the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply asking you for some details. So text that code word, hash FE27. That's the hash or pound symbol followed by FE as in faith experiment and the number 27 as in episode 27, all with no spaces. That's hash FE27. Text that to 048-888-45311. Next time on The Faith Experiment, we are going to continue exploring this idea of Bible study, what it is, how it works, and a whole lot more. Don't forget to give me your feedback. I really do appreciate it. You can text me your comments, questions, and feedback on 4 or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. I'll catch you next week at the same time here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Connect with us via text message on 0488 453 That's 0488 453 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.